32 counties. United by people. Um, that was a little scramble for your microphone there, Andrea, was it? Uh, I forgot. My, I'm like high tech now. Thanks, John. Uh, my name is Una. And my name is Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. This week, the hugely successful pedestrianisation trials at Cable Street and Parliament Street in Dublin are ended via Twitter, with Dublin City Council celebrating their success by announcing their completion. Classic. So what does Cable Street's most famous pub landlady, get out my pub, have to say about that? And what is the council at? That's right, this week, Panty is on one and on the pod as we dig into the pedestrianisation wars. We are an independent podcast and we need your support. If you like what you hear and can spare three euro a month, go to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland and pay for this podcast. Your support has really helped us uh, keep going in many, many ways. So thanks to those who do pay. And we'd love to see our Patreon figures actually grow at the same rate of our listener figures um, because then we would be rich and we would pour all of that money into holding massive raves. So if you want that to happen, you know what to do. Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. Do it today. Don't put it off. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like we should have like those girls from Annie singing like doo, 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 doo. Oh yeah, please. Uh, oh no, that's Oliver. Okay, now it's time for State of the Nation. Well, now people are just up in arms, Andrea. Up in arms. Deservedly so, I would say. And that, what are they up in arms about, Anna? Well, I think everybody is raging about the discrepancy between uh, the GAA and other live events, especially in light of the Hurling All-Ireland Final. Um, when you look at the Taoiseach Micheál Martin with his mask on in the stands, clapping away at Cork, being absolutely hammered by Limerick, um, how can you justify being at an event where there are so many breaches, basically, of, of all of the stuff that we're told that we have to do in crowds? Um, and obviously, there's loads of videos floating around about people going to the match in the pubs and blah, blah. Now, I do not oppose uh, people, loads of people going to a match. Live your best life, GAA. But one rule for that and then saying you can only have 50 people in a massive theatre or have 500 people in a massive field sitting in cow gates with picnic tables or whatever is bananas. It, it's more than bananas. It's absolutely banana town, capital city, banana fife, uh, care of the world of banana. Now, there are more live events meetings happening this week with the minister and apparently the new plan is coming. The much uh, lauded roadmap. We are now in August of 2021. We are in the second year of the pandemic um, and a live events roadmap has still not been provided and people just kind of want that. Nobody is expecting, you know, Electric Picnic to happen next weekend. Obviously, it's not. But people do need some kind of planning for their future in this massive industry. The Irish well, Times... Like, and electric choose- Picnic should have happened. If the if that final happened, Electric Picnic should have happened. That's well, a, that, that's a different story. I think, like, same, same. Well, uh, well anyway, that's a matter of debate. But... Um, 
and there have been uh, rises in cases uh, in the immediate environs or with the attendees of festivals in the UK. However, the criteria is not necessarily that you have to be double vaccinated. There's like lateral flow tests and how do you actually follow that up or judge it or whatever. And you're depending on kind of individual responsibility, yada, yada, yada. But there needs to be some kind of plan. Now, the piece in the Irish Times um, on Tuesday morning basically said that Catherine Martin has these plans for what she wants to happen with regards to live events reopening and that that is going to be met with resistance at Cabinet and by uh Neffet. So this comes on the back of Catherine Martin kind of being the her other cabinet colleagues, because obviously they all have to sign off on stuff. So obviously there's been I was writing about it this week, there's been a lot of um I wouldn't say it's a a great vibe to be honest, about uh her not being able to attend certain meetings, the Tishik and the Tonish and Tony Holohan being invited to the meeting that she was having, them not turning up and sending officials, blah, blah, blah. All of this points to this kind of stuff just not being a priority. There's a massive other conversation I think that needs to be had and that is kind of happening as people really kind of start questioning these systems and the calibre of people in power and whether the values of people in government actually represent change values and desires of people in the country and what they want to do and have nice things and live their best lives and all that kind of stuff. That piece I think is going to be a dominant force in Irish politics and society um, over the next, you know, five years, really, as people just do not see what they desire matched with what is actually happening. Watch out for Una and Andrea's political party. (laughs) (laughs) The United are... Oh, no. Um, Okay, uh, what else is going on at State of the Nation? You've got a little interesting story here. Yeah, no, it's not really the state of our nation, but I, I couldn't put it in my fave bits because it's not culture, so I put it in here anyway. I just think it, it makes sense. All hospital car parking charges in Scotland are to be scrapped. The last thing you want to be thinking about when you go to visit someone in hospital or go into hospital yourself is how to afford €300,000 per day to park uh, in the car parks. The world is moving away from car parks and cars. Long live uh, the feet. <laughs> well done. Uh, long live the feet indeed and the two wheels and uh, free stuff in general. Okay, let's talk about the escalating pedestrianisation wars in Dublin City. It's time to have a chat with the Queen of Ireland. Now, I want you to cast your minds back to before the summer of this year. And after much chatter, there were plans proposed for Capel Street in Dublin City. These were deemed pretty inadequate as there was only a few car parking spaces taken away and the bit at the street, uh, the top of the street kind of closed to traffic. But then the public got involved. And after a remarkable four and a half thousand submissions made to Dublin City Council with 85% of the public in favour of pedestrianisation, new plans came to light. The street and eventually Parliament Street would undergo a six-week trial of weekend evening pedestrianisation, already a very constrained version of what people actually wanted. Uh, this was meant to begin on the 25th of June, but was pushed forward. And there was confusion over what the trial meant, what data would be used to bring it forward to the next stage. What was the next stage? Now Dublin City Council has really kind of bungled uh, its communication again on this whole issue by announcing on Twitter Uh, on Monday, I think, that the trial was a great success, basically, with 300,000 people using the pedestrianised streets for outdoor dining and socialising. 
So be sure to check it out before they suddenly end it this weekend. Businesses obviously raging. Um, and there's been little information about what the long-term outcome of the trial will be. Hospitality businesses weren't spoken to about the conclusion or the next stage. And surprisingly, Fine Gael TDs like Josepha Madigan and Kieran Cannon are up in arms about it. All of this plays into a narrative and reality, I suppose, about a hapless sort of approach by the council who often come across as unable to facilitate socialising in the city as people want it or desire it and kind of contribute to a bad vibe about the state of the capital, as we've really, really uh, seen over the last year and a half revealed. Um, And let's not forget Parliament Street, which has been an absolute joy over the summer, I have to say, especially since businesses like Street 66 have been such a vibe. So Rory O'Neill, a.k.a. Panty, you will all know. Panty runs Panty Bar and Penny Lane on and just off Capel Street. And they're understandably losing the rag. Um, Hello, Rory. (laughs) Hi, me and my lost rag. (laughs) Um, What was your experience at the outset and planning of the pedestrianisation earlier this year? Okay, so... um, you know, it's funny you mentioned the tweet that they put out yesterday, um, you know, saying how, what a great success it's all been before they ended. In that tweet, they showed two pictures. Both of the pictures that they showed as a sort of slap on the back um, for themselves were parts of the street that they never intended to pedestrianize in the first place. Um, so from my perspective, how, what it was, was a, a couple of years ago, I saw this you know, idea floating around um, on Facebook, I think, or wherever. Anyway, I occasionally would pop up and I would see it. And it was suggesting the pedestrianization of the very far end of Cape Street, um, you know, right up there at, um, you know, at uh, Parnell Street, Bolton Street, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just that one block. Um, and the suggestion was, why don't we just pedestrianize this section? Because this would be easy. And that is true. It would have been really easy. Very few cars ever used that little tiny section. It would be very easy to block off. It wouldn't you know, d- disturb any of the traffic flows or whatever. Um, and I, you know, I would have been for that as a, stand- as a thing. Um, but I immediately read it as, God, that's, that, you know, that's, not, that's a nice idea. It's also the simplest, easiest you know, idea. And there's you know, no real vision there. Um, and so cut to you know, two years later or something, when I see the first suggestion that uh, Cable Street is going to be um, you know, pedestrianized. And that was in a Sunday Times article, I think. Yeah. Um, and everybody jumped on this. Isn't this a brilliant idea? Oh, this is great. Dublin City Council are about to do something good. And uh, I had two feelings straight away. The first was, wait a second, this plan that nobody has seen, I bet you it's just going to suggest pedestrianizing that tiny section at the very north end of the, the street that nobody kind of cares about. And everybody's assuming they mean Cable Street, you know, which everyone would love. So I was just immediately dubious. And I then found out, um, as you know, because I spoke to you about it, um, that in actual fact, that article came out of blue sky. It, it had absolutely no basis in reality. Dublin City Council had not even considered, they'd not even had a passing thought about doing anything with Cable Street. But then when they saw the huge public reaction to it, they felt backed into a corner where they suddenly had to um, consider uh, Cable Street. So it was only because of the huge swell of support to this fake report um, 
you know, that the city council decided to do something with Cape Street. And of course, when they then brought out their little plan, it was just to pedestrianize that tiny one block way up at the top of the street where there are very few businesses and all of that anyway. So that enraged me. <laughs> and um, so I started harping on about what a pathetic, you know, no vision, tiny idea this is and why can't they just do it? And lots of other people did the same. And so, you know, city councils were forced into doing something, you know, with a bit of ambition on Cape Street. And which- that was kind of the, cons- the, the consultation really fed into that because four and a half thousand people um, making a submission to the council is just unheard of, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I was, of course, delighted, you know, with that. And so we got what we did get, which has been a wonderful and great success. Um, although, again, you know, that tweet yesterday, Dublin City Council saying what a great success has all been, one of the pictures of Parliament Street, which was not even included in the first thing until, again, huge public outrage and all that, and forced them into also pedestrianising um, Parnell Street at weekends during the summer. Um, so it's just, an, and during the whole process, essentially they've never come and spoken to the businesses or the residents on the street who are overwhelmingly in favour. There are, of course, a couple of people on the street who aren't so fully in favour, but even um, they see some of the benefits and I'm sure we could work things around, but um, mm. the vast majority of businesses and residents on the street are absolutely supportive. Um, and you can see that the average you know, Dublin citizen has voted overwhelmingly with their feet. Um, so... Um, well, hang on, let's pull back a bit in terms, yeah. of, the, in terms of how it actually went. Yeah, Andrea. Like, what I'm getting from this is that we need to start planting stories for our perfect world. Yeah, kind <laughs> of. Do you, know, do you know what it reminds me? It's, it's a little bit about, you know, like um, the Catherine Zabone's party in the Marion. If, you know, they, if there wasn't a huge public outrage, nothing would have, ha- you know, nothing would have happened and we wouldn't uh, even have 200 people at a wedding at the moment. In, in other words, um, on their own initiatives, they're incredibly timid and afraid and have no vision. And the other thing about it too is, um, you know, obviously over the whole time, um, you know, they don't come to the street and talk to the stakeholders and, you know, you have to get your outrage up online and then you have to band together on the streets and write it letters be the or whatever. Way shit is done. Like you shouldn't have to get outraged for something to happen. Exactly. And it's an exhausting way to do anything. Um, and then even this announcement about it finishing, you know, we all found out from that tweet on Twitter. Like, it's just it's just insane way to run a city. Um, and, and, and one of the things that I've learned through this whole process is just how badly broken. I know you guys have talk, talked about it often, how badly broken the system is and how it absolutely is not fit for purpose. And this is just a perfect example of it. Um, Dublin City Council should be leading on all of these projects. It should, they should be the ones coming up with these, you know, new visions of the city and ideas and implementing them. Um, you know, not, you know, just public outrage, forcing them every now and then to doing a thing. And I don't want to personalise it all, but oh my God, you know, Owen Keegan, as I said on Twitter, you know, sort of jokingly, he's barred from Randy Barr and, and Benny Lane. Because, yeah. oh my God, you know, talk about someone who's not fit for the role he's in. And, but, 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 I'll also say that the system is so broken, there shouldn't be that role. Mm. It should be a you know, directly elected mayor, somebody who's answerable to people, um, you know, who, who gets to make all the decisions. And the most pathetic part of it all is, 
Um, you know, because I have been in contact then with all the counselors during all of this, and they absolutely have zero power. I mean, all the ones that I talk to are, of course, fully in favor because they're not idiots. You know, they see that it's popular and it works and all of that. But all they can do is, oh, yeah, we're going to ask. I'm going to ask. And then they get to, you know, write emails and letters the same way that we do to the city managers, whether it's to Owen Keegan or, you know, when the other you know, people under him, who are the ones who actually, you know, turn up and, and pedestrianize roads and build pavement, build that. But being a city councillor means nothing in this thing. They have no more power than you and I do. They can write an email and say, please. And so even today, I, I won't name any names, but I mean, hundreds of councillors. And they are like literally just writing an email to the city managers saying, oh, you know, I've been getting a lot of, you know, emails from people, you know, can you please maybe extend that? We, you know, we'd like to ask you to extend the pedestrianization a bit longer. Like there, there's huge questions on who is running the city and who's making the decisions when it's not voted in and there's no de democracy. Yeah, really. it's crazy. And people don't understand that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I've really only really learned how bad the system is and how broken the system is, you know, over the last, you know, six months or whatever. Mm. And um, well, I'm just shocked at uh, no, none of the elected people have any power. But on a more positive note, yeah. how was the summer? How did the pedestrianisation go? How, what, what was it like for, with it in place? Um, well, I mean, there's two, I, I'd sort of answer that question from two. First is, looking at it from the point of view of the pandemic and the restrictions and all that stuff. So, you know, obviously we were a closed business for 18 months. Um, it was all just awful. Um, and if we hadn't had that pedestrianization, I would not be sitting here, you know, happily talking to you in, in the same way because the pedestrianization absolutely saved our asses. We, you know, Panty Bar has zero outdoor space. So, we would have been closed until a couple of weeks ago still. Um, the council gave us two parking spaces, but no business can survive on you know, the space you, you get for two parking spaces at you know, socially distanced tables. Um, so if we hadn't been able to use the, the street for people to just hang out, you know, people were able to buy a takeaway pint and you know, stand around. If we had had that, there's no way we would have survived um so and we didn't just survive actually we thrived because the weather really played ball i know it's hard to remember that over the last few weeks but the weather was spectacularly good generally um you know all through june and all of that june and july so we didn't just survive we actually thrived in a way that stunned us because we never you know we were worried um so the pedestrianization absolutely saved our asses um Jim, which really does when we when a lot of the conversations around like stopping what is viewed as like a progressive move it's often like well businesses need this and businesses need that but actually it's like well which businesses because if something that you you're doing taking away is actively going to damage a business's bottom line then that's not helping businesses you may be helping you know another one that needs people to to pull up and put items in their car or whatever but um uh, yeah, it will be really crappy for, for businesses like yours um, and the likes of all of the restaurants and Street 66 and stuff like that. And, and, and you know, you'd be amazed on the street, um, the support it has, because even the, the businesses, some of the businesses that I was a little worried, maybe they won't go for it. For example, um, you know, Lenin's, um, 
And I thought, well, maybe, you know, hardware, maybe they think a lot of people, no, they're all for us and everything too. Um, you know, we're <laughs> the only one that I have real, um, well, two of the businesses, you know, one is the um, car accessories shops. And so you'd kind of expect maybe that that person mightn't be thrilled about it. Although I don't really believe that all of their customers are driving up Cape Street, finding the one empty parking space in the whole of Cape Street. And yet that happens to be outside their shop and pulling in, you know. But the other one that actually I did have some sympathy for um, was one of the sex shops because... Um, you know, people are still nervous or whatever about shy about going into a sex shop. So they like to just stop the car, run in, <laughs> grab the thing and run, jump into the car without being seen. Um, so I had some sympathy for that. But even that, um, you know, I'm sure we can find some. <laughs> some yeah, I mean, I think if there was some kind of um, city centre uh, shame development plan uh, that might address <laughs> that issue. But listen, what was your understanding of how, like during the trial, quote unquote trial. What was your understanding of how the trial was going to continue or conclude or be assessed? Because it was initial. I remember looking at the initial scheduling first and I was like, uh oh, they're accidentally starting the pedestrianization on Pride weekend. Don't think anyone of the council has clocked that. And then it was moved forward a week or two. Yeah. But then the timeline became quite ambiguous. So what was your kind of did you have any dialogue with people in the council about what was going to happen actually? Well I, like um, all three of us here on this call, um, speak English. And so I have an idea in my head what the word trial means. Um, but apparently it, it's beginning to seem like Dublin City Council um, don't have the same definition of the word trial. So they said it's going to be six month, a six-week trial. So I assumed we were going to do it for six weeks. We, it would be judged a success or not and then it would become permanent or changed. And after six weeks, again, with no consultation with anybody on the street, they bizarrely, in my head, announced we're going to extend the trial for another six weeks because it's been so great. And I'm like, well, it, it, you've done your trial. It's been great. So, so make it permanent. <laughs> like, you know, and so they did that for another six weeks. And then there was, I heard some people telling me that they were sending for another two weeks. And I was like trying to count up all the weeks. How many weeks have we been doing it? Because again, nobody comes and tells us this. You just see it, you know, you might see a tweet from Dublin City Council's account. And, um, and then yesterday, that tweet goes up saying it's all over. Like, it's so insane. I mean, taking out all of the stuff about the trial and whether it is really a trial and, and how they're going to judge the results of that trial, because none of that obviously has been communicated to us. <laughs> um, but even the fact that they would announce that on Twitter or even just say that on Twitter, because one of the counselors, oh, I don't think they were announcing it really on Twitter. They were just trying to say what a great, how great it means. And I'm like, well, if we're all hearing it from a bloody tweet, that is announcing it. Yeah. And so I like, but, but to sort of just, take that one thing and put it into the real world we're doing this giant thing that affects all of these people on this street enormously and we're never going to speak to them about it we're never going to communicate with them we're never going to ask their opinion we're never going to tell them what our opinion is we're just going to send a tweet out saying that whole thing we've been doing is over 
Like that is in, in any circumstance, in any country, in any language is insane way to do things. Yeah, I think it speaks to a disconnect about like, I when I see things like that, you go like, it's one thing to think that or or to think, oh, we're ending the trial. But to actually package that information in that way really exposes something much deeper in terms of sense and comms and all of those kind of things, you know, similar to um, one of the, I think it was the COVID mobility person who was on radio during the summer when there was the whole hoo-ha by public space and bins and stuff like that saying, well, you know, if we had facilities, people would use them. Like it's one thing to actually think that, but to actually go through with saying that is yeah. bananas. Like you're not even hiding what's that, that mindset. Well, it also, what it exposes a mindset of, and again, I hate to personalize it, but I'm bloody well going to own Keegan, for example, the mindset of that he owns the city and he decides what happens to the city and he knows what's best for everybody and he'll do what he wants and nobody else gets a say in it. You know, so to treat that out without even considering coming down to Cable Street and Parliament Street and speaking to everybody who lives on those streets and works on those streets and does business on those streets, to just arbitrarily from on high and tell them this through a tweet that they may or may not see, it, it shows utter contempt and disregard for the people who live in the city. Speaking of contempt for the people yeah. in the city. There's been kind of uh, people speculating that the reason the trial has ended is because there, it's to give Dublin City Council a way out of having legal challenges taken against them the way it has with the Strand Road and the way um, it's happening in uh, Glastonbury, no, the other place. Yeah. Anyway, so there's like, there is legal challenges. What do you say about that? Well, that is all just hearsay as far as I can see. Nobody who has said that to me, a couple of people have said it, they're just taking a wild guess, trying to explain this insane behaviour. But I've seen the insane behaviour before, so I don't need there to be a new reason for, for it. Um, and, and even if that is the case, come down and tell us that and explain the situation to us. Um, but also, no, no. Let the legal challenge happen and let everybody, all the, everybody else who lives on the street and the businesses on the street will go and tell them to F off. You know, the Strand Road situation is because of all the NIMBYs on the Strand Road are actually behind the legal challenge. Um, well, I want to say all of them, but um, whereas in, in our situation, well, that's absolutely not true. The vast majority of people on the street are absolutely in favour of it. So if Manix Flynn wants to come down and, you know, bring a court case on behalf of cars again, well, let him. I'll fight him in the street. I'll fight him outside Panty Bar. <laughs> but another thing that I've seen um, a little bit on, on, on Twitter is people saying, no, you know, trials always have to end and this is like the natural process and this is the point where people will like reassess and and consider how to make it permanent and la 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 but it's like okay well I mean there's a pretty high opinion you have of the processes that have been occurring in the city <laughs> that there's this like master plan considering that the trial was um you know extended and and essentially now uh basically cancelled um ad hoc you know I, I don't think that the I, I'm guessing considering the, the pattern of behaviour that 
there is probably not a long term forward thinking strategy here with regard to this being breathing space for now, something more permanent. I don't know that to be true, but I do think that people floating excuses or reasons is is pure speculation because the proof is really in the pudding. Like I think people who are floating these kind of things are also floating these things under the assumption that there is a working system, a democratic system that works or whatever. And that isn't the case. We had the six weeks trial and that finished eight weeks ago, that first trial. So if that is the case, well, we should have heard, you know, since then uh, about how the process is moving forward to make it permanent. But of course we haven't. And so they just arbitrarily extended it for another six weeks and then they arbitrarily another two weeks or whatever. So they've already shown that they can just arbitrarily do whatever. So, um, so keep it, if they want to keep extending it from now until eternity, fine. If that's the if that's the only way the system is going to work, well then do bloody that. Announce that they're extending the trial forever. <laughs> you know, whatever. I don't care. Um, or come down and tell us how the system is going to work to make it permanent. But it is absolutely clear, undeniable fact that it has been a huge success and wildly popular, and um, you know, lo- wildly loved essentially by the people who live in the city and work in the city, um, and and wildly popular with the residents and the businesses on the streets. So make it bloody happen. You know, this Uh, is what just makes, drives me insane. And I know that the system is broken. And so it's not as simple as, you know, whatever the the Lord Mayor uh, deciding it tomorrow. Although she kind of nailed her colors to the mast a while ago, so I wouldn't have great hopes there anyway. But um, I understand the system is messed up and broken and, and fecked and it needs to be fi- fixed immediately tomorrow. We, you know, we need to just overhaul the whole system and they've been talking about it for years, but of course it hasn't happened. But that is not going to happen tomorrow. We know that. So in the meantime, use the system we have and the system we have is to just do things. You know, for years and years um, around Pride, we were always ask, you know, asking, can we just, you know, block off the, the lane beside us and use it on pride because it's going to be mayhem anyway and blah, blah, blah. And the amount of reasons that they would find for, for us not being able to do that, like huge amounts of reasons. Um, and they'd have to write down to like, they'd give us half of the street, but we had to leave a whole lane free just in case an ambulance came along or something as if people don't get out of the way when an ambulance comes or whatever. But then when they decided to do the trial of Capel Street, they just come along with a couple of bollards and stick it on the top of our lane and, and stop the traffic anyway. So it turns out that they can do anything they want. They tell us that we need to have all of these regulations and rules why it can never be closed off. And then when they decide they want to, they just come along and stick some bollards and that's it. Like, yeah. like they have their ways of doing things because they are working in a broken system and they know the, the ways around their broken system. So Let's use the broken system to just get done what people want done. I have a business on a street that was threatened with pedestrianization. (laughs) (laughs) But we only have uh, like two meters um, and then loads of SUVs coming up the street. And it's brilliant for all the businesses on the street. Everyone wants pedestrianization. 
However, there has been a bit of a, a pushback from some businesses who say that the it's only the hospitality businesses that are benefiting. We're a nail bar. We are definitely benefiting from the pedestrianisation. What do you say to that? And wh- where do you think that's coming from? And I, 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 I fight back with like, they're like, we need uh, like shopping centres are providing this service. It's like you're literally saying what we're trying to create in the city with a shopping centre that has a walkable area with car parking around the edges. Yep. Ideal. Well, it's just, it's a nonsense. And I understand that people sort of get afraid of change or whatever. But the idea that, you know, only people who drive come into the city, uh, you know, to shop is such an absolute nonsense. And that, and of course, that whole, you know, thing in the Irish Times recently with the well-heeled shoppers. And I'm like, you know, um, study after study has shown that actually people who drive, you know, make up the smallest percentage of people who do who, who shop in the city centre anyway. And, and in a way, I hate to sort of compare to other cities in other parts of the world because there's all sorts of reasons why it may not be the same. But last weekend, I was in Copenhagen for f- four days on a bit of a work thing, but had plenty of time to wander around. And, see. and it was just incredible to me, the difference. First of all, Cycling is given enormous respect there. So there are separated cycle lanes everywhere and everyone cycles. You see old ladies, kids, like everybody is cycling and they all have their cargo bikes and their fancy bikes and their cheap bikes, you know, different. And, and cycling around, even though you're suddenly cycling in a city you don't know on the other side of the road, it's just such a pleasure and it's so easy. And no one thinks anything of getting on the bicycle. And there are public toilets everywhere. Like everywhere there are public toilets. And those public toilets are nice. They have soap dispensers. And they have, you know, tissues to clean your hands. And whether that, whether that is in a park or on a street or out by, you know, their version of Bull Island, they're lovely. They're lovely. And there's loads of them. And, and even their swimming is all this fuss over the, the, the bats at Leary. And, you know, I'm a, a, a keen swimmer. And all over Copenhagen, they just have these beautiful wooden, you know, structures, easily, cheaply built everywhere. And you can just go swimming, you know, anytime you want. And the difference in how livable the city was, was mind-blowing, you know, to me. But Rory, you don't need to go to Copenhagen to actually see certain things being doing right. I mean, look at what's been happening in Dunleary, um, Rathdown yes. County Council. Like this isn't After this isn't some like left. This is, <laughs> <laughs> shade is real. Uh, this isn't um, you know something that like people who work in local government or Ireland or Dublin is somehow totally ill-equipped and just cannot seem to get things right. Like it is actually happening in other parts of the city. Yeah, no, it is. So that makes it even more frustrating. Like during, you know, during the good weather, I was cycling out regularly to the 40 foot or the Vico to go swimming and all along the coastal mobility route until you get to the part where the bloody nimbies on Strand Road are clinging to their cars. Um, And it it was just such a joy to reach Bougerstown. You know, as soon as Dunleary Council was involved, it was also lovely and nice. And, you know, the cycle lane is packed. And um, so, no, that even makes it more frustrating that here in the city centre, you know, we're being stymied at every turn. Um, So, I mean, it 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 makes me lose hope sometimes, you know. and, And, you know, I am... I'm a country boy and like so many country boys, I absolutely 
desperately you only want to live in the smart bang in the middle of the city surrounded by smog so i live and work in dublin one and i walk every single day like uh, you know across o'connell street you know i live on lower abbey street you know, the absolute epicenter of the city's problems um and walk across all the way down abbey street and over to cable street um and it it just blows my mind um, sometimes at the way the, the city is managed. And it then angers and enrages me that the people responsible for making those decisions um, are unaccountable, even to the councillors who we think, you know, the general public assumes are the accountable ones. Even they have trouble getting through this stupid system. Um, so you know, the, the bigger project is to tear down the whole system of, you know, for governance of Dublin. Give us the bloody directly elected mayor. Give the council power. Give the council its own money as well, not just money that they raise from parking, because that is another issue. You know, I just read this morning that Dublin City Council has lost seven million, um, you know, during the pandemic because people were parking less. Um, so, of course, the council is incentivized, you know, to keep parking spaces and to keep, you know, the motors happy. Um, so the whole system is a bloody mess. It needs to be set on fire and, you know, rebuilt from the ground up in, in an entirely different way, uh, allowing the people in the city, um, you know, access um, and given the power really to the, to the people. Um, but in the meantime, <laughs> we need to work with the stupid broken system that we have and in order to do that, the people who are in the system, and that includes all the, the city councillors, city managers, and so on, um, they need to work with us, not against us. And at the moment, it really feels like that. And I think one of the, you know, yeah, we have the pandemic and you're looking for your silver linings. And one of them I really think is that there are more and more people waking up to the fact that the city is meant to work on our behalf. And, you know, the pandemic kept us, you know, from going on our foreign holidays and letting off steam and other, you know, in other ways, we had to use, you know, our, the city that, that that's in front of us. And so many people realized what a mess it's in. And so I hope that that sort of energy um, keeps up. But but this, you know, recent thing about Cape in Parliament Street, it's just another reminder that they just, it's governance by outrage, governance by public outrage. And unless the public, you know, muscles up enough outrage over, you know, these relatively small things, there's one, two streets we're talking about in the city, um, you know, nothing happens. Like, like if I'm going to take an optimistic view right now and say that we're going to get some movement here, um, but if we hadn't, uh, you know, gotten up this outrage and this fireness about it, um, it would be all over next week. And that'll be the end of it. And it's so, fucking, it's exhausting. Wow. Like you do, you don't. It's have exhausting. Yeah. You don't have time to be doing all this shit. Like being a pedestrianisation activist, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as 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 well as running a business. It's um, true. We all have our own lives. You know, you're you're writing your bleeding articles, and she's painting people's nails. I mean, we have our own lives. We didn't choose to become Dublin city councillors to run the city. Um, but we're being forced into constantly having to, you know, get involved in everything because the system is so bloody broken. We always try and end our 
pieces with maybe something a little bit optimistic and what people can do, what would you say to that? Uh, get out your email right now and email uh, the Dublin City Councillors and tell them to, you know, use what very tiny little amount of power they have um, to, to, to fix this. How do you think we can change how Dublin City is run? Like, we, myself and it, that's a small question, isn't it? Me? Yeah, I know. <laughs> just a small question. Just a small question to finish off. But like, we, myself and Ina have conversations about this of like alternatives and blah, 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 blah. What do you think is, how can we get our city back? Um, we literally do need to tear down the whole system. Get rid of Dublin City Council as it stands at the moment. Uh, bring in a directly elected mayor, uh, direct funding, um, you know, so, so that the council has the money to do the things it needs to be mm. doing. Um, Dublin City Council should be entirely answerable to the electorate. And I, when I say entirely, that it means to, um, you know, the, the CEO shouldn't be making decisions about which road gets blocked off. The city council should be, and the CEO should be doing the council's bidding. Um, it needs to be people powered. Um, it needs to be directly elected. Um, and it needs to have the money and the power to make the the changes. Here's, um, a, here's a spanner in the works. Don't you know what, the, uh, what's her name in Paris that she's taken the lead and ha- is like pedestrianizing the Champs-Élysées and getting yeah. all the cars. And so sometimes it does need somebody who has a vision. But yeah, but that can be a directly elected mayor. The thing yeah. is, is that the system is, is established that, the, that the, the accountability and transparency doesn't exist because there is not... Um, that isn't embedded in the processes by which people, quote unquote, rule. Yeah. Like, I think that Owen Keegan is actually, I'm pretty sure he's in favour of um, a directly elected mayor. I would imagine that given the amount of flack, now maybe his personality mightn't be that bothered, but that he's receiving, that he would probably prefer to be an administrator and carrying out the work, as you say, Rory, that is then, you know, pitched through democratic, and engaged, very engaged processes by which people actually develop the vision for the city. The issue with a la- uh, local government reform actually goes back to how the reasons why powers were actually stripped, which was around you know corruption and inefficiencies mm-hmm. in the planning and zoning processes. So yeah. that you know, but that's very reactive. There has never been proper local government reform. Um, you know, plebiscides to potentially decide an elect- directly elected mayor have been stalled. One has happened in Limerick, the one in Cork or uh, Fingal didn't happen. You know, so, but there is no political will, even though no. I don't think government is happy with Dublin City Council. But it, it, I really, really do think that, as you say, Rory, that that shift in how people have actually realized the inadequacies of of the city is happening. And I do not think that this current era of our systems of government, governance locally and nationally are going to survive the revolution in public scrutiny. Uh, Here, here. And I certainly hope that's true. I mean, and just one thing there about the directly elected mayor, there's absolutely no point in us having directly elected mayor unless that directly elected mayor has the power to, to do things. Yeah, and it establishes and so the a, ca- a cabinet that has ministries, yeah. mini ministries of housing, yeah. of of urban life, and, and that, yeah. that we are actually driven by urbanism and by design and by street life uh, community um, 
cultural aspects of a city, which is what a city is, as opposed to just looking at spreadsheets and going, oh, there's a brownfield site. We need to do something like that. Who's got the most money? Yeah. Um, you know, so there's massive um, cultural shifts that need to happen. But just before you go, um, I was just wondering, like, if this um, pedestrianisation, which has been so beneficial to this area, Parliament Street, Capon Street, does end uh, after this weekend, which is what Dublin City Council have said, how will that impact your bottom line business-wise? Oh, it's not going to end this weekend. It's not going to end this weekend, Una. If I have to fucking lip sync for my life in the middle of the street all night, I will. Um, uh, you know, it's hard to answer that question simply because of this weird pandemic stuff we're in. Um, because this isn't a normal time. So at the moment, if, if for example, we just had to move indoors totally, um, things would be incredibly difficult for us now again because um you know indoors at the moment means uh socially distanced tables uh, people aren't allowed mix uh nobody standing you know on the dance floor or anywhere near no music and you know panty bar um and penny lane in common with the vast majority of city center bars uh, lives or dies on its weekend nights um you know, we have a nice little steady trade during the week for people, you know, on their way to the movies or after work trade or whatever. And we love to have them. It's all great, but they don't pay the bills. Um, we have to be packed on Friday and Saturday night. I mean, that is, that is the business. Um, and that is the, the, true of most, of the, most city center bars. Um, so if we had to move entirely indoors, next week and that indoors looks like it does at the moment um it'd be an absolute disaster i mean yeah it'd be a total and utter shit show um because the business can't possibly survive on that um so we're we're, we're glad of being able to do this indoors now um you know but it isn't our indoors it's not panty bar it's some weird, pale, you know, Im, you know, imitation of Panty Bar. Um, it's the Central Hotel's <laughs> version of Panty Bar. I love the Central Hotel. I'm not trashing it, but do you know what I mean? It's a whole different vibe. Mm. Um, and we can't survive in that. Absolutely no way. And that would be true of every city centre bar, really. Um, but, you know, I don't even want to only focus on a, you know, the business and that point of view um i'm have you know i am for it regardless of pandemics or no pandemics um and not just about the business it, it's about the street you know i have you know there's i've often said this and people will always say oh well you would say that but but i'm you know i i'll tell you i yes i would say this regardless of whether i had a business on cable street cable street is my favorite street in the whole city i know andrea might go for south Dillon street but i cable street is in my in my view is the perfect street it has that beautiful aspect that incredible view over the street and up to parliament street to to, to city hall it is uh, every single business on the street except for the spa and the bank are independently owned small businesses. Um, it's narrow, so it's easy to kind of nip across it and all of that. And uh, 
it's so clogged over the traffic that was already, you know, the traffic is very slow. So you don't have to to worry. Um, uh, it has a proper community vibe about it. Everybody knows each other on the street. Um, it has a great mix of businesses, both sort of, you know, hospitality businesses, but then all of the other, you know, amazing, weird and wild uh, stores that you find on Cable Street. Like, like you could live your whole life on Cable Street and never have to leave it. You can get a cake, a, a hammer, a dildo, um, a bottle of poppers, an Aikido outfit, um, a dartboard. I mean, you know, you whatever you stuffing for your hip padding, <laughs> like whatever you want is available to you on Cable Street. And it's it's one of those streets that couldn't exist anywhere else. It's intrinsically Dublin. Mm. Um, and it's also, you know, people say, talk, you know, everybody's the, oh, the south side, whatever. Um, Cable Street shows you what a gem the north side can be. And, and uh, you know, apart from all the cars on it, I wouldn't change a single thing about it. And... Um, and there is, you know, gentrification in some ways threatens it around the edges with all these bloody hotels and stuff being built. You know, there's within a 200 meter radius of the street, there's like five giant hotels um, being built. Um, but Capel Street itself has remained sort of, in a sense, true to itself. Um, you know, even the immigrant communities are so strong on, on the street too. Um, you know, the restaurants available to you, you know, are, you know, w brilliantly diverse and fabulously good. Um, so I love everything about the street. And um, regardless of whether I had a business there, I would be saying that to you and you can choose to believe that or not, but it's true. Um, and I love it like passionately. It makes me feel good just to walk down Cable Street and so I am in favor of anything that makes Cable Street even better or shows Cable Street off, you know, as what it, you know, what it really is. Um, and, and people also, there's not all this talk about the businesses, but people forget there are many, many, many residents also on the street, which is one of the things that also makes it an almost sort of unique kind of street in the city. Um, you know, Panty Bar, you know, all above us is you know three floors of residence and um and and all along the street there's so many of those little businesses have you know a flat above them that people are living in or that small creative industries you know have always been in sort of quietly there's a lot of you know graphic designers on the street and that kind of thing um so cable street is a beautiful fabulous community and that community needs to be supported by Dublin City Council um, in the same way that it is generally supported by the people of Dublin. Rory O'Neill, thank you very much. Uh, here's hoping to an infinite extension of <laughs> very vague and opaque trial. And uh, let's hope it goes well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, ladies. Bye. It'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out and if there is indeed uh, a durational Marina Abramovich type um, 
month long lip sync uh, by Panty on Capel Street to preserve the pedestrianisation. As she says, she's wigs big enough to take up the street. She will not believe it. <laughs> What's getting in the sea this week? So getting in the sea is an overarching uh, corporate power controlling our lives. I know that's a shock. But basically this week, uh, OnlyFans um, announced that they were kicking all their sex workers and sexually uh, sexual content off the uh, platform. People were saying it was because they're looking for investment and want to up the get more money from other people. However, obviously, if they lose all their sex content, which makes up a lot of uh, sex of the content, Patreon already exists. What will OnlyFans be? But I think the bigger thing that's um, a bit more worrying is that it's actually uh, MasterCard who are leading this charge. From October 21st, 2021, new rules that govern sites with adult content that use their payment processing uh, means that every person needs to be verified and reviewed before publication, um, which obviously doesn't work for OnlyFans. So, um, yeah, there's a big question on where um, sex content will live how sex workers who are making uh, a safe um a safe wage will go what will happen there and where the future and it just really is it it look cast aspersions on our relationship with sex. Sex is how we all came into the world. People enjoy it and people are wanting to profit of it. I think it just when uh, corporates are controlling that, that will kick all the indie creators off the site and it will leave uh, sex content in the hands of big conglomerates and that is not a good place to be. No. Um, now, what's bananas? <laughs> it is absolutely bananas that it was announced that there's plans for a five-star bathroom in Dublin that would uh, be three fifty to spend a penny. It's definitely inflation rates there, and ten euro for a shower. Um, and it's just so bananas because this is a business model now that's being based on our lack of amenities that are being provided by. Uh, the city. We have no toilets in the city. So now people are popping in and charging 350 to go for a piss. Sorry to be so graphic there, but it is absolutely bananas and really highlights how it's like the perfect illustration of uh, the, the privatization and how expensive things get when that happens and whose job it is to provide the amenities for the people who live in a city. It's absolutely bananas. This uh, posh Lou thing has already opened in Galway, right? Uh, um, you Lou or something's charging three fifty. I wonder what ever happened to Dublin City Council's magic plan to have uh, private retailers provide public toilets for no money. Uh, haven't really seen that happen. Um, anyway, well now the market's back. People are like going into pubs again and into like Brent Thomas's toilets. It's like. Stop relying on businesses. Correct. Now, it's time for our fave bits. What are your fave bits this week, Andrea? Um, Mazer's first gallery show. It's actually not his first gallery show. It's his first, I suppose, official gallery show because he's had shows in uh, Atelier Mazer. But uh, his first show in Gormley's Fine Art called Bookmarks and Time opens on the 6th of September. 
Um, very excited to see the crossover continuing of street art into fine art spaces. Uh, Dolly Rocket um, is a female drag queen in Brighton. She's been around since the 80s. And I just am buzzing off the fact that the uh, the conversation has been about women can't do drag with the first woman being cast in RuPaul's Drag Race. Misogyny came out. Only men can do drag. Everyone can fucking do drag. Piss off. And I think Dolly Rocket's a glam bitch. Have a look at her. And she illustrates that women can, in fact, do drag. And do do drag. As a drag queen myself, as Dynasty Carrington Colby will attest. <laughs> uh, I also have a fave bit that Seamus O'Reilly's book is launching in Hen's Teeth on the 26th, which would be Thursday at 6pm. Emmett Kerwin is going to be there to launch it. So pop in if you're around. Uh, Sean Faye's The Transgender Issue is released next week. Um, the, I look forward to that, especially with all the discourse that is happening in Ireland at the moment. Um, and also, I just found a lot of hope in this. It was in that crazy article. Uh, somebody in The Guardian went to a shit restaurant, but at the end, he was like, there's this place called JoJo's in Tankerton. don't know where that is. But they crowdfunded to buy their freehold of their restaurant. They raised 100 grand. And as ownership of everything is cast aside, places are left empty um, because nobody cares because they're not actual, like they're absentee landlords, essentially. Um, Hopefully crowdfunding kicks off a bit more in Ireland and that we start to buy our own amenities and we own our own clubs, restaurants and pubs and art spaces and galleries and all the things that are gorgeous. And podcasts, patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. Zing. My fave bits this week. Um, I went to see Free Guy. Did I talk about this in the podcast or was I just talking to you about it? Just me. All right. Uh, so I've just been going to the cinema as a good kind of escape. And also, I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll just go to the cinema. And uh, I never really see these kind of big blockbustery films with one of the Ryans or one of the Chris's or whatever in them. But I went to see Free Guy, which is basically a cross between The Truman Show and Ready Player One and Proletariat Uprising. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So if you want to see, if you want to just see? check. Mainstream isn't all bad, you know. <laughs> Shut up. Like, obviously I go see loads of stuff. But um, yeah, it's just a very fun summer film. Very chill and and visually stimulating. You'll be watching Made in Manhattan next <laughs> I have seen Maiden in Manhattan. So. <laughs> um, although I'm really glad we we got to mention that for the first time in the podcast right now. Um, my other fave bit uh, is the Irish Society of Botanical Artists. I've been reading a lot of books, uh, not a lot, a few books about flowers and plants and things like that. And but when you look, I at inspire you with nature. I introduced you to nature, didn't I? <sighs> <sighs> it existed before your love affair with it, Andrea. Um, but uh, I was in the Burren last week. Oh, by the way, myself and Andrea both went on holidays last week and unbeknownst to each other, both went at pretty much the same time to these same places, <laughs> um, which we realised when we got back. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was like doing this guided walk of the Burren and just looking at all of the flowers and it was just really beautiful and I hadn't been there since I was a teenager or kid or whatever. And then I was reading this book um, that was a collaboration with the Irish Society of Botanical Artists. And when you go to the Irish Society of Botanical Artists, their website, like it's 
So cool. I love botanical illustrations and it's just like really deadly. So um, check that out if you need some calming vibes. Festival Watch. Uh, you've probably noticed that a lot of the kind of subsidized festivals that are socially distanced and heavily capped in terms of uh, audience members, but are still taking place are kind of, a lot of them are falling in September because people have obviously gotten their, their all this stuff organized and, and it's great to see them happening, although they're not really happening in a real way. Uh, but fair fucking play to anyone who's been getting stuff off the ground in this context. Um, so the one that we're highlighting this week is fall into the right place, fall into, fuck's sake, fall right into place. The festival is called Fall Right Into Place. It's at Clare Galway Castle in Galway. It's from Strange Brew. Shout out to Googie and people playing at Bell X1. Uh, my homeboys. And so I watch you from afar. Alva Reddy, John Francis Flynn. That album is so good. Mary Wallopers, your faves. Mm-hmm. Scratch, also your faves. Also. Uh, Bitch Falcon, Soda Blonde, Saint Sister, Villagers doing an acoustic set, Elaine May, woohoo, shout out Elaine May. That's happening 8th, 12th September. Absolute belter of a lineup. Um, so check that out. My final fave bit is my obsession with Sunderland Till I Die, which is a Netflix series, two seasons of it on Sunderland FC. It's really well made, kind of almost old school, flying the wall documentary about the struggles and travails and economics and um, city culture of uh, this football club. And uh, yeah, I never really engaged with Sunderland that much, but um, it's it's well worth it. Really recommend. And now it's time for Book of the Week. Book of the Week. Book of the Week this week is called Steal As Much As You Can. Uh, this is by Natalie Olath from 2019. It's about austerity and the mainstream rise of upper classes and basically how neoliberalism fucks with everyone's lives. But it also offers a lot of comfort, I think, because some this, the author is really naming the stuff that people are going through that fe- can often feel like, impo- like f- personal failure. And it's like, no, it's just this suffocating climate of inequality and rocketing house prices and stagnating re- wages. So if you're feeling all that or interested in that, this is for you. It's called Steal As Much As You Can by Natalie Ola. Shout out to Dorje, who sent that to me last week. Uh, shout out also to some of our listeners who've been chatting to us about the podcast recently with their invaluable feedback and nuggets of wisdom. Colm Keane, shout out to Lara, shout out to Anthony Remedy, always with his feedback on the podcast. This pod, who is it produced by, Andrea? Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for his, our soundtrack. And Sarah Fox did all of our design. And what is the tuna chicken roll for this week? This tuna chicken roll, I forgot to pick one. So this is one that I just liked the other day. And it's it's a song that makes me feel young. It, hip, in touch with the kids. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I don't feel that a lot anymore. And it came from the TikTok place. <laughs> yeah, it did. It's called The Magic Bomb. I thought you were about to say, it's called Old Town Road. <laughs> It's called The Magic Bomb and it's the 2021 TikTok remix. That's a thing now, apparently. Um, I don't know who makes it. It just says Anthem Hits Platinum. But sure, look, it's a it's a tuna chicken roll, nonetheless. I've been Una Malali. 
I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was Pedestrian Wars. Pedestrianisation Wars. Um, <laughs> well, maybe it's time. No, it's not. Bye. <laughs>